You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Okay, so we started this series uh, last week. Our foundation verse, we'll look at it in just a minute, is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We'll start in verse 18. Verses 18 and 19 is what we're looking at. So just a little bit of review today. Um, the, the church today is facing the same types of um, opposition and difficulty and that kind of thing that it has faced throughout history. And so as we list some of these things, this is not to discourage us. This is the way it's always been. Jesus said, there are going to be people who will receive my teaching, and if they'll receive my teaching, they'll receive yours. And there are going to be other people who won't receive my teaching, and if they won't receive my teaching, they won't receive yours, right? He said, in the world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So it always, I'm always a little saddened when I see Christians get so down over seeing uh, things that are going on in our culture and our, our society and that kind of thing. They're not good, a lot of them, and I, and I get that. But what are you going to do? You know, you either get depressed and stop helping and withdraw and pull out. You, you know, you do something like that. Or you take it like everything else that we do and we see a challenge. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. Right, Kalita? We just studied that yesterday. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. God's plan doesn't shift because society gets tough or secularism grows or whatever. We're still, our job is we've got a heavenly commission. We're not going to answer to the world about how we do this. We're going to answer to God. And what a privilege to, to be his people in this day and age. So we're looking at some of these things in First Timothy because you know, they had opposition there from religious people. They had opposition there from, uh, from secular people. They had opposition there from the government. They had opposi- opposition there uh, from all kinds of places. And yet they went out and turned the world upside down. Okay? And not everybody received what they were doing. But they went out and they, uh, we, we stand today as a result of what people did in that first century church. So... Paul comes along to Timothy and tells him, he tells him, he gives him a number of instructions, obviously, throughout this letter. But in this first part of the letter, he tells Timothy he needs to hold on to two things, faith and a clean conscience. So you've got to hold on to those things in order to stay on course. If you don't hold on to those things, you're going to get off course. And he says, we'll look at it in a minute, just like other people have gotten off course and ended up, he uses the term shipwrecked. Okay, and we don't want to end up with a shipwrecked faith. We want to we want to continue to to grow, to walk with God, no matter what anybody else does or what the country does or any of that. We're going to walk with God through our whole life. We have that privilege and we have that responsibility. So right now we live in a culture, in a nation where 65 percent of Americans, when they're asked uh, if, if they're Christians, they will self-identify as Christians. They'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian, 65%. But when you start to ask questions about what that means, uh, do you, for instance, do you believe Jesus is the only way to go to heaven? Okay, do you believe Jesus is the only way to connect with the Father? Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Okay, do you, do you believe there are many ways to God? You know, those kinds of questions where you start getting down to, Uh, identifying what that means to say you're a Christian, that number drops to between, depending on who you listen to, between 6 and 10% right now in our culture that would have what we would call a biblical worldview. They actually look at life and believe what the Bible says, and they look at life that way. It's 6 to 10% in our culture. And that number has dropped by about 50% in the last 20 years. Okay, So that's not good news. Okay, but it doesn't change the word of God and it doesn't change God's purpose and it doesn't change the power of the gospel and it doesn't change our assignment. None of that changes our assignment. And I don't know about you, that helps me because then I know what I, you know, I know what I need to do. Honestly, I like to think of it as job security. You know, I I like to think of it as, hey, people need the word of God 
maybe more, if that's possible, than they've ever needed. Our, our society needs it more than they've ever needed. So the point is, that's not a new thing, all right? I don't think God fell off his throne when those statistics came out. I think that um, what we need to be asking is, okay, Lord, I want and I will run my race. I will run my race well. I will run my race and finish well. How do I do that? How do I, give me, give me instruction, daily instruction. Speak to me because I am determined to do that, okay? And, and that's just, you know, you can make that decision on your own, but the Bible talks about our, we're going to read today, it talks about our Christian life as a warfare, as a fight. Some of it's a fight, okay? But it's not a fair fight. Jesus already won the battle, okay? Especially when we're talking about the devil, He's defeated. We have the word. We have his authority. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. But it's honestly, it's not about so, it's not so much. I know that's important, but it's not so much about winning that fight as it is saving a world. God loves all of the people, all of the people that don't know him yet. He wants that relationship with them. And he's given us that assignment. And sometimes we turn that into this big, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You have a sphere of influence. God will give you exactly what you need to minister to the people around you. I heard Tommy Barnett say this the other day. Um, he said, if you will change your small world, God will use that to change the big world. Okay? So don't get don't get too caught up in, our assignment is to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. I don't know how to do No, you bring God's life to your small world. Start, start as small, probably start right here. <laughs> okay, that's what we all need to do, huh? And then your family, your children, the people you work with, the people you recreate with, the people in your world, just bring life to that. You're not even responsible to bring the harvest. You're responsible to be working the fields. Okay, and when the harvest comes, yeah, then we're responsible to bring in the harvest, but that's kind of, that's the easy part, okay? But if you'll change your small world, God will use that in each of our lives to change the big world. Does that make sense to you? I thought that was a great, great statement. Um, so, so we looked at this verse, all right, and we talked a little bit about who Timothy is. These two verses, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and that term rejected means they have violently pushed these things away from themselves. And these were believers who did this, okay, who, who just reject, just decide, I'm not walking with God anymore. I'm not walking in what the word says. I'm just not doing it. I am, I am not trying to walk by faith. I'm not connecting with other believers. I'm not doing it, okay? So they've rejected uh, faith and a good, clean conscience, just staying tender and innocent before God, all right? And in do, so doing, they have shipwrecked their faith. And, that, and that's just such a... Such a picture, but let me let me just throw this out. Anybody who wasn't here last week, so he said this about Timothy. I, I think it's important we know who Paul is saying this to. Paul or Timothy was discipled personally by Paul. Okay, we talked about that last week. He, he was under the personal ministry. Paul calls him his son. It's his son in the faith. He, he discipled him. All right. Timothy was one of a few troubleshooters, church planters, leadership developers. He ended up being the pastor at Ephesus, but he was a guy Paul, Paul would send in to places where they'd started churches and that church was having trouble, okay? And Timothy would go in there or Titus would go in there, a few people that he'd send in there to straighten that thing out. So he, so he wasn't just some nominal believer here. Okay. We talked about the, faith, uh, the fact that he was a man of generational faith. Paul talks about his grandmother and his mother having tremendous faith that also lives uh, in Timothy. Okay, He was a person that faced resistance from 
religious people, which at that time was people trying to bring Christians back under Judaism, okay, from um, powerful groups of idol worshipers, people who worship something besides God. The main one of those that's going on in our culture is secularism. That's where people, honestly, what that comes down to is you worship self. They say they don't worship anything but that means you worship self. You, you are your own authority, right? You can decide whatever you want to do is what you want to do. And that's the, that's the big uprising in our society is secularism. Uh, and and it is a, it's, it's a religious belief, okay? It's, and, and it's presented as, you know, you're, you're free, you're open, you can do whatever, you can believe whatever you want. That's the message of secularism. But the reality is, no, you can't believe whatever you want because you cannot believe and abide by a Christian morality that's bothering me. Okay, that's impo- if you even it, you don't have to you don't have to try and change anybody. You know, again, we've seen situations where we prayed in a restaurant. We just at the table. We didn't stand up on the table and try to give a message in other tongues. You know, we didn't, we didn't make a big show. We just caught hands and prayed over our food. We do it all the time. Somebody complained to the management, who didn't care at all. I, I mean, they, they just thought it was funny, that we had prayed. We were imposing our views on them. Secularism is not a neutral philosophy. That is a lie. Sometime we'll talk about that. We don't have... We really don't have time this morning. But that's the one that's really rising up uh, in our culture and in our government, okay? And um, they, at Timothy's day, had resistance from, and Paul did, from an anti-Christian government and culture, okay? And the reason for that, the reason that a lot of governments throughout history have opposed the Christian message is because the Christian message says there is a God that is more in charge than you are has more authority. He is a higher power than you are, government. Governments don't like that, okay? Ours was founded on that idea, but that's, that's our struggle right now. So these guys faced all the same things. Oh, I had, I had, yeah, I don't know if I need to say that. I had written in my notes that as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that thing of government not liking a higher authority. It's like, it's, so it's not one nation under God, it's one ring to rule them all and one ring to bind them. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so that may or may not be from the Lord, okay? Um, uh, so, so Timothy was a faithful server in his church and he was a leader in the church. We laid out all of these things last week to that person, okay? Not a nominal believer. Paul came along and he said, number one, remember there were prophecies spoken over your life the, the, there were words spoken over your life. And in remembering that, and, and enable, in order for you to run in that track, okay, you need to hang on to faith. You need to hold on tight to faith, and you need to hold on to a clean conscience, okay? So, so this was, you know, this was important, all right? And we talked a little bit about shipwrecks. I need to get into something else, but we'll just go through this quick. Um, so shipwrecks is shipwrecked faith. Okay, shipwrecks happen either when somebody is making steering mistakes. Okay, they're steering the ship wrong, and it ends up running aground or running into really shallow water. You can you can let go of your faith to where you're you're just kind of you run along. You still uh, believe God, but you, but really it's not applying to much of your life. It's just very it's a very shallow part of your life. Okay, you can run aground there, get stuck there. And, and ruin your life, okay? Or it's, it's where a ship gets off course and gets driven up against a, a, an object that wasn't seen, something unexpected, but was avoidable if the ship had stayed on the right course, okay? So both of those really come down to pilot error, you know? And, and so part of that, I mean, one question we could ask is, who is really piloting this ship? Is it just me? Or is the Lord, am I submitting to the Lord's leading and letting he's really the pilot, I'm just steering, you know? Um, so, so who's making those inputs? And then we can just watch our life because most of the time shipwrecks occur, it's, it's not, and this is what the Lord spoke to me as I was meditating on those things, was it feels like you hit a rock out there with the boat 
Well, it feels like that happened in an instant, but it didn't. It was the end of a long trajectory. It was the last moment of getting off course. And then sometimes there are storms that come into our life that drive us off course. We've talked about that. We'll probably hit that some more. You know, Jesus said there are storms that will come into all of our life. There's, there's bad doctrine. There's ungodly ideas. There are, you know, loss and betrayal and all those things we talk about. Disappointments can push us off course. You know, if we don't learn to navigate, and that's, there's a reason we use that term, through those difficult times in life, through, you know, hope being deferred. There are just all kinds of things. Offense is a huge one. If we don't learn to navigate that, we'll end up getting off course and very likely shipwrecked, okay? And once a ship is wrecked, there's a problem there. You know, the Lord may be able to put that back together and I believe fully in repentance and all that, but why go there? Why go through the misery of your faith becoming shipwrecked and having to be put back together, okay? So let's get into some new stuff. Are you still with me today? Let's, let's tear these verses apart because honestly, uh, I love the New International Version. I read it a lot. I read the New King James. I read the Amplified. I read the New Amplified. I read a lot of different versions. This is, a, in my opinion, a very weak translation of these verses. It gets the idea, but it's, it's uh, very weak. So, so we're going to go through and pull some things out. And uh, so let's read it again. First Timothy 1, beginning in verse 18, says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them, following them what? Following them prophecies, okay? You may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. So, Let's talk about this idea of prophecies, first of all. Uh, prophecy is one of those words that has both a very specific meaning and also a very broad meaning in the New Testament. Uh, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, prophecy pretty much meant what we would think of a prophet standing up and saying, here's what God is saying right now. You know, and that, that in the New Testament, there's that type of prophecy too. And you don't have to be a prophet to prophesy in the New Testament. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You can flow in any of the gifts of the Spirit. You just make yourself willing. And as if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've received that, then as you move through life and you're sensitive to the Lord, he, you know, sometimes um, there, prophecy is used in a much more broad sense as well as the narrow sense in the New Testament. And just some examples of that, if we look at the gifts, okay, there are three spoken gifts. There are four if you count tongues and interpretation of tongues, but prophecy is one of them. Uh, words of knowledge are one of them. Words of wisdom are another. Um, we have, and in fact, that's most, most what you see here because I tend to move in words of knowledge and words of wisdom. That word this morning about some of you have this going on in your life. You're concerned about this person. We're, a word of knowledge will, will define facts, okay? You're concerned about this person. You have sown seed through prayer and, and, uh, and speaking the word in this situation. That's, that's a word of knowledge. Word of wisdom is don't quit. Don't get, it's what to do with the word of knowledge, right? And they often flow together. So those are forms of the general term prophecy. Second Peter, it tells us that in the New Testament, anointed preaching and teaching, where, the, where it's not just um, exegesis of the Bible uh, in an intellectual sense. You know, we're going to pick apart and we're just going to tell uh, something from an intellectual presentation of something from the Bible. That's valuable, but that's, but anointed preaching and teaching, where the Holy Spirit is, is filling what's being said and impacting our hearts with it. The, the New Testament, Second Peter, tells us it, it equates that with prophecy from the Old Testament. So it is, prophecy is defined in the New Testament as either a written or spoken uh, communication of something that is proceeding right out of God's heart right at that moment. Okay, so sometimes, not always, but sometimes when, uh, you know, 
I'll be teaching along up here and the Lord will put something on my heart and we'll go off over here and we'll talk, you know, we'll talk about that. Many times, that is a flow of, that is a, what I call, for lack of a better term, some people get really upset about these terms and I personally think that's silly. But we, we, we pray for a prophetic flow in our service. As, as we're worshiping, we want to follow where the Holy Spirit is taking. We believe that part of that understanding of where he wants to go that way, it comes when we're preparing, okay? We trust that. Some of it happens on the spot. That word that Karen had this morning during where they just, they went into that time, she began to speak to us and speak an encouragement to us. That was a prophetic word. That was a, that was, and we have, we believe for uh, singing prophetic songs. There are many times when the worship team will, they'll come out of what's on the screen, right? And they'll begin to sing. And they encourage us to sing out what's in your heart. That's a prophetic flow in worship. We want to pray prophetic prayers. When we gather together, to pray, we always ask, Lord, lead our prayers. We don't want to just come to you and tell you what we think you should do. We, or just ask you for things. We want to partner with you and hear what's on your heart and speak those things out in prayer over the earth. That's, a, that's what I call a prophetic flow in prayer, okay? So my point is, when in these verses, when Paul says that what the instruction he's going to give is in keeping with the prophecies that Timothy has received. Okay, Timothy, uh, we know or we believe from what Paul says to him that Timothy had received specific prophecies, specific words that ignited in him his ministry, that directed him as as to where he was going to go. And, and some of that no doubt occurred. And some of your Bibles just say it this way, but it's not really in the text, that when he was ordained, when Paul laid hands on him, the team laid hands on him and ordained him to ministry, there were probably prophetic words spoken of, okay? But probably throughout his life then, the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, had other people speak into his life what was immediately on his heart. The Old Testament scriptures that he carried with him were brought to life by the Holy Spirit, and those became revelation words to him at that time, fresh words from the heart of God, right? You've, most of you have all experienced this, okay? Or, or friends or co-workers came to him and said, you know, I feel like the Lord is saying this over you. I suspect there were many forms of prophecies that Timothy had received, all of which directed his ministry and encouraged him and strengthening, strengthened him. All New Testament prophecy is supposed to empower and encourage and strengthen. And, and so, so what I'm trying to say, why I'm going into all of this, is because I want you to realize that almost certainly in your life, there have been prophecies, if we want to use that term, spoken over you. The, there are things that you have known that the Lord was highlighting to you from the scripture. They were, and, and I think all of that comes under this big, broad, big, broad category of, of prophecy in the sense that the Lord speaks to each and every one of his kids who will listen and brings things that are right, fresh, out of his heart. And he doesn't just do it once. He leads and guides that way through his whole life. Now, I got to say this because I don't want anybody to understand. That doesn't mean I'm saying, Timothy, they, this, this verse may very well to Timothy just be talking about the prophecies that he received at his ordination. I doubt it personally. You can decide for yourself. I suspect it's broader than that. But at the same time, we do need to realize that any word that comes to us in any way in the, this, these New Testament times, whether it's somebody standing up and saying, this is what the Lord's saying, whether it's something that comes up in your own heart that you believe is from God, it must agree with the written word of God. If it doesn't, chuck it. Okay, just chuck it. Okay, if you're not sure, just kind of set it over here and pray about it and say, Lord, show me, is, is, that, is that you? I just ask you to confirm that word, Okay. 
It needs to agree with the nature of God as we see in Jesus Christ. The Lord does not contradict himself. Okay? So it has to line up with those things. It has to bring some encouragement. It has to bring some strengthening because that's what the Bible says prophecy does. Okay? So so we need to be, and it needs to bear witness with the Holy Spirit in you. Bible tells us, man, I didn't mean to spend this much time on this. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that when somebody stands up and gives a word, we're supposed to judge that word by the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and the word of God that we have, just the things I just mentioned. In the Old Testament, you didn't judge words from God. God judged prophets if they were false prophets, okay? But you didn't, you, you accepted it or you rejected it as a word from God. Well, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. So we live in a different time. Anyway, my point is, as we look at the rest of this passage, I want you to think about that the encouragement that's being given is for Timothy to continually walk in what the Lord has spoken into his life. And in some way, that certainly applies to us. Okay, I just don't want us exempting ourselves from what's said here. Does that make sense to you? Okay, you can think about all that later. Here's another thing. Oh, Lord, I want to move on. One last thing. As God leads us and guides us in life by speaking to us, by bringing his word alive to us, all the things that he does, what God's saying to you, another thing to just kind of check it with, it should make sense with what God has already said to you. Okay? You may not fully be, I don't mean by, oh, well, I can analyze that and I can understand every bit of where God's taking me. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying sometimes people say, oh, I've been on this track. The Lord's been saying this. He's been growing me. I've been going along. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I need to go over there. I have a hard time with that. I don't see God do that. Look at the Old Testament. He said in the garden, I'm going to bring one who will crush the head of the servant. 4,000 years later, okay, we've con- he has consistently worked through a people to come down to that seed, consistently. He didn't suddenly jump off, oh, you know what, we're going to do it a different way. You know what, we're, we're, just, we're going to go over here. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to choose uh, people from Nepal. We're going to bring the Savior through them. We, I gave up on Israel. You know, he didn't do any of that. He's very consistent, I find, and methodical. So as you're hearing things and as you're discerning what the Lord's saying to you, just realize God does work in a pattern. I'm not saying he won't ever say anything that's like, oh my gosh, really? Because he does. But it should fit. He grows us line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay? It's just the way he does it. I should have just taught on prophecy today, apparently. Okay, let's see how much of this we can get through. Are you ready? Do you have your notebooks out? Okay, awesome. Let's, let's continue to look at this verse. Okay, so, so here's what it says. I just want to give you a fuller understanding of some things. So he comes along and he, and he says, Timothy, I give you this instruction, all right? That term, give you, Okay, it doesn't just mean this is a suggestion, right? This is something here. Let's see what you think about this. this. This term is really strong, and it means he's entrusting something to Timothy for safekeeping. He says, I'm entrusting this instruction to you. It's valuable. And so anytime God entrusts something to us, our role is to steward it, to, to keep it, to guard it, and to work with it in the future, to steward it. And that's when he says, I'm giving you this instruction, that's what he's saying. And ultimately he's saying, if you want to finish your race, if you want to fulfill the prophecies that have been spoken over you, you need to steward what I'm saying to you right right now and and do it well, okay? And so then he says, "I'm, I'm giving you this instruction. In the NIV, we have this word instruction, all right? That word actually means a charge or a command, okay? When somebody gives us a charge, again, it has this idea of something really valuable and something to be responsible over, right? If somebody puts you in charge of their children for the evening, 
there's a responsibility that goes along with that. When we're, we are put in charge of a charge, okay? And that's the actual idea that's, that's coming up, that something really valuable is being deposited into me. It's, it's a charge. Yes, it's an instruction, but the, the word is also used to speak of the command given by a superior officer. Okay, so, so this is something serious. This is not just a, uh, here's, what do, you, what do most of us do with instruction booklets? Okay, you know, there, you got it. You know, it's, and, and maybe later I have learned, because I have matured, that I, I keep the instruction booklet for a little while while I try and figure out how the thing works. All right, if I can't figure it out, maybe I'll go look at the instruction booklet. Most of them these days are so pitiful anyway that, you know, it's just a bunch of hieroglyphics. You can't even figure it out from that. But anyway, that, that's not this kind of instruction. This is a charge. This is a responsibility if you want to finish your race and do well. And he says, this charge that I'm giving you is in keeping with the prophecies that you've already received, the things that, the, that God has spoken over you through Paul, through others, I believe, uh, all along the way, Timothy knows what God has said to him and leading him in his ministry. All right, and Paul says, what I'm going to say, this instruction is in keeping with that. Well, in English, that kind of sounds like it, it, it's similar. It goes along with, and, and that's true. But it's much more than that. This term in keeping with, it speaks of something that comes alongside to reinforce something else. So this instruction that Paul's giving is so important and so valuable that it comes alongside these prophecies and actually reinforces them. It reminds Timothy of the prophecies he's, he's received. It clarifies things. It, it, again, it's just strengthening him so that he can stay within those prophecies, so that he can live by what God is saying to him. And so again, I just emphasize again, Paul is giving this instruction that comes alongside those prophecies to a man of generational faith that was discipled by Paul, that was sent into the, that's leading churches, that's doing all this stuff. And Paul says, you, you need to hang on to this instruction Okay, it's a charge. It is, it is something for you to keep safely if, if you want to live your life in the power of what God has said. And, and so he, he says uh, there, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that. All right, that means this is, I'm going to tell you why I'm giving you this instruction. Okay, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, all right? So he says, I'm giving you these instructions so that by following them. Here again, we can think of following in a number of different ways. And we can think of, well, I'm, you know, I'm following that, following somebody to a destination. I'm following that car. I, I'm keeping it in sight. You know, it, it's up there. I don't want to lose sight of it because I want to get where I'm going and they know where we're going. But I'm not staying real close either, you know, I, I'm just back here. I'm following along. And um, so, so that's not what this word means. This, this word or this phrase, by following them prophecies, okay, means to always remain within the power of something. So what to always remain within the power of something. So he's saying there is power and anointing in what God has spoken to you. And if you'll receive this instruction that I'm giving you and guard it, you'll be able to always remain in the power of those words from God. That keeps you on track. That keeps you, obviously, the rest of the verse, keeps you from going over here and being shipwrecked. To always stay in the power of what God has spoken, what God is speaking to you. And I believe part of that is about releasing faith toward what God has said even when there's no natural evidence yet, just like we talked about earlier, seed in the ground. If I want to stay in the power of what God has told me to do, I've got to keep my faith. When I'm not seeing any natural evidence, I've got to keep my faith in what God has said. I'm not going to let go of it. That's part of, excuse me, part of holding on to our faith, okay? And, and remaining on course in life. 
All right? And then he says, so I'm giving you all, I'm giving you this instruction. It's going to come alongside and, and strengthen the prophecies that have been spoken to you, what the Lord has already said, so that by staying in the power of those prophecies, it says so in the, in the NIV, you may fight the good fight. Okay? We're familiar with that phrase because Paul uses it a few times. Why the NIV put that phrase here, I have no idea. Most of your other translations say, wage a good warfare. You may say, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the two don't mean the same thing at all when Paul uses them. There's a, there's a truth to fight the good fight, and we may still get to that in this series. But he says something different here. He says, by staying in the power of what God has spoken, by hanging on to those words, he says, you'll be able to wage a good warfare. And this is a much broader term than fight the good fight. It describes the equipping with everything that could possibly be needed of an army for success in warfare. Okay, so it's not just we'll be able to fight our little fight. It means there's a full equipping in the words that God is speaking for you to, of everything an army could need to go out there and wage that warfare. And that, and that warfare, I mean, that fight, honestly, for us, for the most part, it's, it's hanging on to faith. It is, there is a fight to walking out your life and finishing your race. There is a fight to that, partly because of the devil, partly because our minds aren't fully renewed yet, partly because we're in the world. There are things we will have to fight. Sometimes it's a fight to be sure I stay on course. As I stay on course, I stay in my lane. I run the way I'm supposed to run and I run hard all the way through that finish line. There's a fight to that, isn't there? Anybody ever had a fight with that? Anybody ever been tempted to quit partway through? I have, I have. So, so this idea, and these are just a few, I'm just going to throw them out to you because we're running out of time. So through what God will speak to us and what he has spoken to us, he gives us. Oh, by the way, that, that term, um, wage a good warfare, it actually means literally to operate in effective strategies, to operate in effective strategies. It's actually a Greek word where we get the word strategies. So there are strategies that the Lord will give us. There are tactics that he'll give us. Everything that pertains to an army, right? He'll give us good leadership. He'll lead us into places where we get good leadership. He'll help us to understand how the chain of command works in his kingdom, which we don't always like because we're Americans. We don't like chain of command, period. Okay, that's a secular idea. We won't talk about that today. Um, um, Discipline, how to build disciplines in our life. Soldiers have to have discipline. Armies have to have discipline. Or they don't win. I guess they don't have to have. If they want to get wiped out, they don't have to have discipline or chain of command. Clarity about who the enemy is and what our objective is. We really need that one because we think the enemy is the person sitting next to us. We think the enemy is the governor, right? We think the enemy is the Senate. We think the enemy, that's not the enemy. We're told that specifically. Boy, you guys are quiet. We're told that specifically, our, our warfare. It's not with flesh and blood. And that gets hard sometimes. It's not with, but God, it looks like it's with flesh and blood, but it's not. It's with principalities and powers. We're actually warring to set those people free so they can connect with Jesus Christ, not to get them to do the right thing. Okay, let's move on. Uh, So equipment, he gives us equipment, superior weaponry. We don't want to be wandering around using carnal weaponry all the time. Training, nourishment, armies need to eat, right? All the things that you can think of that they come to us as we stick with our faith and stick with what God has spoken to us, okay? It's provided through what the Lord speaks to us, okay? Let's continue, all right? So he says, and I I wrote this out. This is the John Clement translation that's up there. You can say JCV down there at the bottom, John Clement version, okay? Just coming from everything we just said. Timothy, my son, I entrust you with this charge to undergird and strengthen the prophecies once made about you so that by living continually in the power of them, 
you may wage a good warfare, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have forcefully cast these aside and so have shipwrecked their faith. All right, so let's just try and wrap this up. So he gives us these two things. We need to hold on to faith. All right, hold on to faith. Well, that that means uh, there are a number of ways that we do that, but we we learn, we decide, I'm going to walk my life by faith. Okay, and we're all going to do better and worse at that, okay, as we go along. But we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay, so we start to think about that. Start to think about how that works in everyday life. Things look bad. I'm not going to get pulled off my faith. Things look really good. I'm not going to forget about my faith. You know, and we're just going to walk by our trust in God. We're going to trust him more than we trust anything else. Okay, we're going to continually feed our faith. We had a Bible school teacher that ended every session saying, go out there and feed your faith and starve your doubts to death. Feed your faith and starve your doubts to death. Man, I thought that was good because you got to do both. You can't feed all your doubts and feed all your fears and feed your faith and feel like you're going to hang on to your faith. You can't do it. You have enemies. And some of them are personalities. Some of them are demonic. Some are those things. Some of them are just ideas that come through. Some of them are backgrounds. All kinds of things. If you're given to fear, you need to fight that fear. You can fight that fear with the word of God. If you're given to offense, you need to fight that offense. It'll wreck your faith. It'll wreck where you are. We could go on and on about that, but we want to feed our faith. And we, and we do that. We develop these good habits. We're in the word. We're in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're spending time with the Lord. Okay? We're, we're in his presence. We are, we are taking time in our life to feed on the Lord and let him feed us. It'll strengthen your faith. All right, we are a functioning part of a local church, okay? Are oh, you just saying that because you're a pastor? No, I'm not. I'm saying that because the Bible says it and because I've experienced it in my own life, okay? Sitting out there by yourself doesn't work, I'm telling you. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, you can look it up, read it in the Amplified. It talks about being flourishing because you're planted in the house of the Lord. You can have whatever questions you want about that, but it's a, it's a good principle, Okay, we need to learn to take thoughts captive. Okay, that has to do with starving our doubts. Take your thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. There again, you're standing in the word, you're, you're starving your doubts. You're, you're not just letting yourself be pushed off course a little bit at a time by thoughts that are not godly, not biblical thoughts. We do need to resist the devil. Okay. We do need to resist the devil. It's not everything we do by any means. We can get too hung up on that. But where the devil is trying to invade your life, you have authority over him. You can resist him and he will flee from you. All right? You can use the name of Jesus. You can use the blood of Jesus. All right? Remember who you are in him. We, to hold on to our faith, we build strong relationships with people of faith. We're not supposed to be doing this by ourselves. It doesn't work. And that's a big trend in our country right now. And so one of the things we can do, if that's, you know, if you're used to being planted in the house of the Lord, you can encourage other people. You don't need to be religious about it. You don't need to be weird about it. You don't need to be domineering about it. You just share the life that you receive. You know, you just reshare uh, what's going on in your life. Okay? So holding on to a good conscience The word conscience in the scripture, there are different opinions about it, but Paul uses it a number of times. He uses it, I think, three or four times in this letter to Timothy. But conscience is defined as an innate moral awareness that's given by God to people. An innate moral awareness. It's an inward knowing of what's right and wrong. Okay, now some people believe that the conscience is the same. I have friends that believe the conscience is the same as the spirit your spirit, your human spirit. I don't believe that because the people who are not born again yet, so that so the Holy Spirit does not live in them and their spirit is not made alive. They there's still a lot of things that that we will agree are right or wrong, okay, to to a big, pretty big degree. And again, I know we're seeing some of that diminish in our culture right now. Um, but the Bible tells us that our conscience can be so wait. So 
I believe we as Christians have that innate moral awareness that I think is a part of the soul, then we also have the witness of the Holy Spirit in our spirit. So we're pretty excuse-free in this for not knowing right and wrong and not holding a biblical morality uh, because we have two, two voices. How many of you hear voices? Am I the only one? We have two voices on the inside of us in this area. And, and what, you know we have the witness of the Holy Spirit in our spirit that'll just put up a red flag, say that's not the right way or that's not the way to go, even if you don't understand it all, or, or that peace that leads us. And we have the conscience that we had all along. You know, the one that mom tried to help you with when you were a kid. And, and the conscience, the Bible says, can be seared. Think about what searing is. Sears in all the juices, right? You put a piece of meat on, you make the outside layer hard. Okay, a conscience, it says, can be seared through disobedience to the Lord. Every time we choose to disobey the Lord, it, it sears that conscience a little bit. Makes it harder for it to function on the inside of us, okay? Paul says here, keep a good conscience. Okay, so let me just give you a few and we'll be done here. Choosing to promptly obey God keeps your conscience tender. We want a clean conscience. We want a tender conscience. Okay? Choosing to just promptly obey the Lord. And I remember a period in my life where the Lord had me practicing this in the sense that, and I asked him to do it. It wasn't huge things. It was just, Lord, give me nudges, you know, this this week. Just nudges. And, I, and I'm really going to try and stay focused and just follow those nudges. And I wasn't always right about what the Lord was nudging. Sometimes I was wrong. But I learned in that how to, how to know this is just the Lord nudging me because he doesn't shout. He doesn't yell. He doesn't strike you with lightning. He doesn't do those things, okay? He, he just, there's a witness on the inside of you. This is right. This is wrong, okay? If we will, Paul's telling Timothy, if you want to not be shipwrecked, you need to keep a clean conscience in in our world right now, again, and we'll probably need to talk about this, secularism speaks. There are a lot of messages to us every day that are not biblical, but they are, they are considered to be correct by most of our society right now. The big percentage of our society, society says, no, this is good. This is the way you should live, you know? And, and those messages come through everything. Living for self comes through everything. Well, we, we need to be able to listen and know, no, that's not right. And, I'm, and I reject that idea, okay? So promptly obeying God, quickly repenting of sin. When we do sin, we all do. We have this thing called repentance. And we can turn around, we can say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I violated that. I am sorry. I receive your forgiveness again. I am going the other direction, which is what repentance means. It means I'm going to turn around and go toward you, Okay. Promptly obeying, quickly repenting, okay? Remembering who you are helps keep our conscience clean. Remembering we have access to God all the time. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. This is who I am. I'm a child of God, okay? So, so when anything is violating my conscience and I'm acting outside of who I really am and I'm gonna get back in place with repentance. Does that make sense? Okay, maintaining a sense of innocence. We could talk all day about this, but the Bible, there are certain things that come along and Karen and I will say, you know, that whole situation is just too wonderful for me. Meaning I'm not taking that in. I'm not gonna try and figure it out. It is messed up. No, it is too wonderful for me. I'm not going to struggle over it. I'm not going to get violated over it. I'm not going to get angry over it. I'm not going to, I'm not going there. If the Lord wants me to pray into it, I'll happily do that. But I'm not going to get engaged with the offense that's in there, with the anger that's in there, with the injustice that's in there, whatever it is. I'm not going to engage and let that into my heart. I'm going to be childlike before God. Man, there's beautiful flowers today. And, I, and I'm not talking about don't pay attention to anything, but we got to keep a place in our heart that's that innocent, childlike faith. Does that make sense to you? Okay, easier said than done. Being easily taught and moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's, he's that was the last one, just being easy to move. You can make yourself easy to move by the Holy Spirit. Okay, if we'll keep those things in mind and we will realize 
to run across that finish line strong, to stay in my lane, to fulfill God's plan and purpose for my life. I have to stay engaged with what God has spoken and is speaking into my life. And part of that is holding on to faith. I will not let it go. I don't care if everybody on the planet decides Jesus isn't Lord. I'm going to run my whole life knowing, because I know him, that Jesus is Lord. Okay? I'm holding on to faith. And I'm going to do my best to keep a clean conscience. Not only in the sense of what I do or don't do or that kind of thing but in the sense of, God, I need innocence in my heart. I need a place of innocence that I can pray from and not let all this junk get on the inside of me. Does that make sense to you? that help you? Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I believe, Lord, <clears throat> that everybody in this room that we're in this place where we want to finish this race and we want to finish it strong. Lord, we want to fulfill your purpose and your dreams for our heart, Lord, for our lives. God, we have parents here raising godly kids. We have people building godly businesses. We have people influencing friends. Lord, we want to run our race and run it well and finish. And so, Father, we, we ask, Lord, help us all. Help us to know there's any place we are letting loose of our faith. We're getting slack in hanging on to our faith, Lord. Give us that revelation, please. Show us. Show us in our hearts, Lord, so that we can repent of that, so that we can get back on track with that. Show us how to do it. Holy Spirit, you lead us by steps. I love it. And Lord, if there's any place where our conscience is becoming violated, where we're carrying a weight we were never meant to carry, Lord, and, and some of that might just be choices that we've made. Some of it might be things that have been done to us. Lord, uh, whatever it is, Father, in a given life, you know how to repair it. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts to remain tender. We want our conscience to remain tender so that we can be so easily moved by you in every situation. And I just thank you for that, Lord, just for that today, Lord, that all of us, would be able to run in the power of your word, run this race in the power of what you speak to us. And we trust you for that. And we thank you for that. And as they go out, we go out, all of us go out this week into all these settings. Some going to Super Bowl things tonight, Lord. Some going in our work and wherever, Lord, in the store, God, help us to be a light. Help us to remember, Lord, to receive those nudges, to know what to do in the moment, to have the word to speak, to give, the, to give the hug, to give the touch, to give away some groceries. Whatever it is, Lord, we make ourselves open to it, to influence this community and this society for you with life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you're volunteering Tuesday night, please come back in a few minutes and uh, we will have a meeting. It won't take very long. And if not, you guys go out there equipped to be the church, right? All right, let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.